Mary, and we think so much of her. And we wanted to give a little testimony here tonight, and uh, then we'll give her a, a longer time sometime soon, as soon as she gets uh, reacquainted, you know, and understands America again. She's been way down in the isolated parts of South America. All right, come on. Now, uh, yell out a mighty use to yell at me. <coughs> Speak out loud. No. It would be terrible if I called myself an Irishman once. <laughs> I am not. Down in Fatima, they call me Peruvian. And I am a Peruvian. I belong to Loretto. I'm mighty happy to be home again, next to Cairia, in the Amazon Valley. That's the place the dearest to me on earth. Yes, I remember his message too, Mr. O'Hare. I haven't forgotten it yet. <clears throat> the message he gave that night when I turned from life into death. Or from death into life, rather. I thank God that he saved me. I don't understand why. I really don't. But he did it. He did save me. And then I don't understand why he sent me forth into the Amazon Valley region of Peru to tell about the wonderful love of Jesus to those that are in darkness. It's been my privilege to spend 25 years in that wonderful land, most of it among the Indians, the primitive Indians, the wild Indians. When I went back five years ago, it was five years ago when I went back, I asked the Lord if he should show me that term, something about his marvelous grace, and permitted me to see some of the work accomplished some fruit for the laborers. South America is a hard place to work in. Oh, you may not think so. We have wonderful cities. Uh, the land has grew up wonderfully. We have a marvelous time there. We have planes and everything now. We didn't use that. Oh, that's where I am. We still go in canoes. But things have changed all over the world. And Peru has benefited us quite a bit from Rockefeller's money. But that's all. The gospel of Lord Jesus Christ is not known in South America yet, as we know it. We know it as the power of salvation for all those who believe. But that power and money means more than power of the gospel in South America. But among the Indians, and I love every bit of the scene um, the work among the Indians, I have seen a wonderful change in this last five years. Lord answered my prayer in a marvelous fashion that this last five years I have seen a lot of fruit for the laborers. I frankly can confess to you that I've been marvelous to see his marvelous power. For she said that not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, said the Lord of hosts, and it been his spirit that been working among the people. In the last two years, almost every week, they have seen conversions among them. And that means something to the Indians to turn from them to life. They had to change the customs, the habits, yea, even their outward appearance. From going naked, painted up, they become men and women that take interest in clothing. They dress themselves, they clean themselves outwardly as well as inwardly. But have come from the inside because I don't think they could do it otherwise. <coughs> yes, they've been wonderful. And all because they have to have us faithful in teaching Lord Jesus Christ. I remember so well when he talked about the second man in the Bible, how he became a savior of the world. And he took us that night, it took me at least, I don't know about the others, that night after the cross of Calvary, and I saw my savior there suffering, 
for sinners. And I do thank him that he saved me that night. Yes, I'm happy. I'm happy in his service. And uh, for anyone that wants to be fat and happy and sassy, you come down to South America. It's a wonderful country. A lot of monkey meat, a lot of all kinds of things to eat that make you fat. But another thing is we have that precious word of God. So there we have it also in the Indian language. I don't speak neither Swedish nor English very much there. My language is Spanish. But we also have the Indian tribe's tongue. And it's wonderful, wonderful to know that the gospel today is preached in many corners of that earth. We still have many Indians that need the gospel. And I'm home gathering volunteers. Now I hope I can get some volunteers from North Shore. You're sending so many missionaries to Africa? Don't forget South America. Don't forget South America. Don't forget Peru. It's a wonderful country, and we need workers badly. I'm not going to take too much time tonight, but I want you to know that Lord Jesus Christ means more to me today than I did 25 years ago. And I'm very happy to hear that chorus then. Lord knows the way to the wilderness. We have learned it down there in South America now in the last four years. When I get very tired, I sing that chorus. Lord, Lord knows the way to the wilderness. He knows every part of that wilderness in which we live. He guides. He leads. He watches over us. He cares for us. And it's only us to go in his strength and follow his footsteps or follow his guidance and leading that we can reach those Indians. I, I haven't got time, but someday I hope to tell you something about the intensive work that we have been doing in South America in the last five years. We have got many new stations started in the Anderson Valley. For you that do not know where I live, I want you to know that I do not live in Lima, Peru. Lima is a beautiful city. I have to go over the Andes Mountains, the highest peaks of a thousand feet with perpetual snow. We travel over that into a little village we call Pucalpa, west in the valley. And from there, you can take your choice. You can either fly to Iquitos if you want to, but where I live, I cannot go by plane. I must take a canoe. And if you have the airport motor, you get it quick. If not, you go by oars, of course. Take three days. And you sleep on the sandbar, bars, and you have a good time. You fly and everything. But otherwise, when you want to reach the little village, the village of Kalkairia, you get a great welcome. The Indians there will welcome you open arms. And so will I, for the matter, when you come visit. May Lord bless you. I thank you so much tonight for your prayers. I know that your prayers have so many years. <clears throat> I know that we can do nothing unless as you hold us up in prayer. Prayer is a powerhouse. Prayer is the only thing that changes heart and changes life. I thank you for your prayers, for your standby, and I know that you'll continue prayer for me. I come home now for a little rest. Or you say, yeah, I'm gonna need, I don't look like I need any rest. It'll be nice to sleep in a good bed again. And I do thank you for, for all you've done for me. And I hope to see you, a lot of you. <laughs> when Stephen was preaching that message, at the time he was stoned to death, he mentioned the fact that Moses referred to Christ, and he said, a prophet 
like unto me shall God raise up. Peter referred to the same thing in the third chapter of Acts, the 21st verse. Moses said, A prophet like unto me shall God raise up, and anyone who will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. And of course, Moses was referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Moses is the typical prophet. He's the one was the type of Jesus Christ the prophet. There are two priests. One was Aaron, and the other was Melchizedek. And both of them pointed forward to the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The typical king was David. He came from the tribe of Judah, and in the book of Revelation, the Lord Jesus Christ is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You remember in Genesis, Judah, thou art the lion's well, and the scepter shall never depart from Judah until Shiloh come, and unto him shall be the gathering of the people. Now that means a meeting place. So you see, the Lord Jesus Christ was foretold as prophet, priest, and king. In between the time that God, uh, the commonwealth and kingdom of Israel, there were just a few years. And when they were tired of having judges in their commonwealth, they said, we'd like to have a king like the other nations. And God had a man there in that transition period whose name was Samuel. Now Samuel was prophet, priest, and judge, or prophet, priest, and king. He was the uh, type of the Lord Jesus Christ as prophet, priest, and king. In the 18th chapter of Deuteronomy, here are the words of Moses, the 15th verse, Deuteronomy 18:15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. You remember when the lightning and the thundering at Sinai came? We're told in the twelfth chapter of Hebrews the people could not endure that which was spoken. They stood afar off. But after God gave the Ten Commandments, he told Moses to get down from the mountain and build an altar. He said, don't make it artificial. Don't let it be man's work, but take a stone just as it is and put it there and on that stone offer the peace offering. Isn't that very strange that in the very chapter where God gave in the lightning and the thundering and the storm or the... Uh, darkness there, where he gave the Ten Commandments, he told them to build a, a, an altar for the peace offering. Well, the law worketh wrath. Christ made peace through the blood of his cross. And the Lord was there telling them in the, in the lightning and in the darkness and the thunder, 
when he gave the law at Sinai, he was telling them that the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of the better hope did, by which we draw nigh unto God. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin to condemn in the flesh, sin in the flesh. Now when the Lord Jesus Christ came, you remember what he said in the closing verses of the fifth chapter of John. In the closing verses of the fifth chapter of John, he says here, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. Now the Lord is saying that to all the Jews today that meet in their synagogue and reject Jesus, and talk about following Moses. And he said, Had you believed Moses, he would have believed me, for he wrote of me. If ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my word? And then you remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus, that Lazarus uh, went to the bosom of Abraham, and the rich man died and went to Hades, and he was in torment in the flame. And when he found out that there couldn't be any cold water put on his tongue, he said, Will you send someone back to warn my brethren on earth that they come not to this place of torment? And you remember what the Abraham said? They have Moses and the prophets. If they will not believe Moses and the prophets, they would not believe though one were raised from the dead. And it's very significant that shortly after that, a man by the name of Lazarus was raised from the dead. He wanted Lazarus to come back and warn his brethren. And uh, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, the Jews not only wanted to kill Jesus Christ, but they wanted to kill Lazarus because some of the people believed because he had been raised from the dead. When you think of the hellishness uh, and hardness of the human heart, and God says if a man despised the law of Moses, and died without mercy, of how much sore punishment shall he be found worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and treated the blood of the covenant as an unholy thing. Now the Lord Jesus Christ was the prophet like unto Moses. Moses wrote of him and spoke of him. One of the most important verses we have in the Bible is Romans 15:8, that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision to confirm promises made unto the fathers by the prophets. The Jews call the first uh, five books of the Bible, they call those the books of Moses. We call them the Pentateuch. And in the books of Moses, you have many promises concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember what uh, the servants of John the Baptist, uh, they asked a question. They came to Christ. And they said, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? You remember the question? And at that time the Lord healed the sick, and cleansed the lepers, and raised the dead, and gave sight to the blind, and hearing to the deaf. And he didn't say a word. He says, You go back and tell John the Baptist what you saw. Because you remember in the 35th chapter of the book of Isaiah, it says, Your God will come down to earth, and he will prove that he's God by healing the sick and cleansing the lepers, by opening the eyes of the blind and unstopping the ears of the deaf. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ was not only the one that fulfilled the prophecies of Moses, but of all the other prophets. 
He was a minister of the circumcision to confirm the promises made unto the Father. As we said in our teaching in our Bible class, more than 90 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have the statement, So it is written, as it is written, that the scripture might be fulfilled, that the word of the prophet might be fulfilled. Every step that the Lord Jesus Christ took uh, from the borrowed birth and the borrowed manger to his burial in the borrowed sepulcher, every step was that the scripture might be fulfilled. They said he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would go to Nazareth to make his home, that he would be despised and rejected of men, that he would be wounded in the house of his friends, that he would be sold for thirty pieces of silver, that he would make his grave with the rich. Every step that he took, and finally, after he died, you remember he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. I have power to lay down my life. I have power to take it up again. And uh, God would not suffer his Holy One to see corruption, neither would he leave his soul in hell. So Christ showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. But if you want to get the outline of Christ as prophet, priest, and king, just go to the book of John, and you get it in such a wonderful way. There's where you read that he spake as never man spake. He spake as one having authority, not as the scribes and the Pharisees. They wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. Did you ever study the statements of the Lord Jesus last Sunday night? I referred to the uh, 14 nights, 12 nights it was, that I spent at Pittston, Pennsylvania, years ago. And the snow, the heaviest snow that I've ever known in all of my life, it was four or five feet deep. We couldn't get out to the meetings, couldn't get out in the daytime. A few people gathered at night, but we couldn't have uh, even the gathering there because of the snow. And every day that I was there, I took the 21 chapters of John, and I studied it with a different line of truth and marked the uh, Gospel of John. I went through it 14 times, or 14 or 15 times while I was there. And I always thank God uh, uh, for the snow that I had there, that I had that wonderful study of John. And I found out that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of himself 684 times. 684 times he speaks of himself in the Gospel of John. And there he says, He that has seen me has seen the Father. I and Father are one. Before Abraham was, I am. And uh, you remember what it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And all through you have the prophecy the Lord Jesus Christ confirms what all the prophets said concerning him. And then we read in the 13th chapter of the book of Acts, and it says, When they had fulfilled all that was written of Christ, they took him down from the tree and put him in the sepulcher, but God raised him from the dead. Now before he went, uh, before he went to the cross, you remember what he did in the 13th chapter of John? Christ, knowing that the time was come that he was to depart out of the world and go back to his Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. That's a wonderful statement. You read in the first three verses of the 13th chapter of John, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And then he took a basin of water, and he had his twelve apostles sit down. And he took that basin of water, and he girded himself about with a towel. And he went to each one of them and said, Put your feet in this basin of water. 
And when he came to Peter, uh, Peter said, uh, what are you doing? And uh, he said, Peter, what I do, you know not now, but hereafter you shall know. Well, you can't wash my feet. Well, he said, if I don't wash your feet, then he says, uh, you can't have any fellowship with me. Well, then he said, Lord, if that's true, wash my feet and wash me all over. And then the Lord said something very significant to him. He says, if you've been washed all over once, all you need after that is to have your feet washed. People don't under, seem to understand when the Lord said, what I do now you do not know, but hereafter you shall know. Suppose I'd have someone up here on the platform, and I'd have a tub of water. I'd say, put your feet in there, and I'd wash their feet, and uh, then I'd dry them with a towel. And I'd look down uh, and say to you, you don't know what I'm doing. Why, my, certainly you'd know what to do it. But listen, in both verses you have two different verbs. What I do now thou knowest not, hereafter thou shalt know. And that is, hereafter you shall understand what is the meaning of my washing the feet of these disciples. And then when he said to the Peter, uh, if you've been washed all over, you need to be washed only once. In other words, if you go to the cross of Calvary and have your guilty soul washed by the blood of the Lamb, that can never be repeated. You do not need any mass. You do not need any, any, uh, you do not have to have Calvary repeated. For it says that after he'd offered one sacrifice for sin forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. He entered once into heaven, having obtained eternal redemption for us. When the Lord Jesus Christ cried on the cross, finished, he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He settled the sin question for time and eternity, as you read out on our sign there. He suffered for sins once the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. You can never become a child of God but once. Your relationship is established once for all, and it must be established at Calvary. We are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, and only the blood of Jesus Christ can bring us nigh. We which were afar off have been brought nigh by the blood of Christ. Without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. And when you're cleansed from all sin and you come by faith to Calvary, you become a child of God and your relationship is established forever. Then we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew he predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son. And whom he predestinated he called, and whom he called he justified, and whom he justified he glorified. And what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who is he that condemneth us? Yea, it is Christ who died, who is risen. Yea, who is at God's right hand, making intercession for us. What does it mean, having loved us, he loved us, loved them unto the end? When is the end? Philippians 1, 6 says this. It says, listen. That he that began the good work in us will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And that word perform is epitaleo. He will do it all the way to the end. What is all the way to the end? You have the same thing in Hebrews 7.25. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is up at God's right hand interceding. He says God is able to save to the uttermost. That's pantaleo. Ephesians or Philippians 1, 6 is epitaleo. And you have it in, in John 13, teleo. 
And you have it in uh, Hebrews 7, 25, pan teleo. Pan means all, all the way to the end. That's the reason he ends that great statement after he says it's Christ who is at God's right hand where he's uh, making intercession for us. I'm persuaded that neither life nor death nor principality nor power nor things present nor things to come, height nor death nor tribulation nor angels nor any created thing shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. My dear friends, your relationship is established once for all. Jesus Christ died on the cross to establish our relationship. He's at God's right hand and what he's doing now, he isn't doing one single thing up there for a sinner. All he's ever done for a sinner, he's done on the cross of Calvary. And what is being done for the sinner today is the preacher that goes out to preach and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin because they believe not on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you get the 17th chapter of John, you see what the Lord Jesus Christ was doing there. He said, I pray not for the world. I pray for them that thou hast given me out of the world. He's giving us a little picture of what he's doing up in heaven. As I said in our Bible study, listen, you have this statement. When Jesus Christ had by himself purged sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And the 8th chapter of the book of the, uh, of the 12th chapter, it says he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In the 8th chapter of Hebrews, it says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of the throne on high. And Paul says in the first chapter of Ephesians that God hath raised him from the dead and placed him at his own right hand far above all principality and power and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body, the filling up of him that filleth all in all. And then he gives us that wonderful statement in the fourth chapter of Hebrews, the ninth verse. He says, he that ascended first descended and now he's ascended far above all heaven. And I asked the question this morning, what has the Lord been doing? As I said, I wrote a, a little book that is now not yet printed, but uh, this is the year 1923 A.C. If we say this is the year 1956 A.D., we understand that. That's Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. But when you say this is the year 1923 A.C., that's 1923 after Calvary. What did the Lord Jesus Christ do after he died on the cross? He showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Then he ascended far above all heaven. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he's been representing us. You remember Hebrews 9, 24? He's not entered into the holy place made with hands, but in heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. He's called an advocate. And those of you who speak German know what the German word for a lawyer is. That's the very word that they use. Advoke is a, is a German lawyer. That's the name of a lawyer. Uh, someone that says that Satan is the prosecuting attorney for the kingdom of this world. He's the accuser of the brethren. You know what devil means? Diabola means to throw out. And don't you forget it, night and day, every one of you who've been redeemed by the grace of God, uh, Satan knows that your state is imperfect, that your standing is perfect before the Lord, and he finds fault with you. And day and night, he brings charge against you before the holy throne of God. And we have a lawyer up there, and he's never lost a case. Never lost a case. That's the reason it said, having loved them in those that were his, he loved them unto the end. And we're confident of this very thing, that he that began the good work will perform it on the day of Jesus Christ. He's up there to maintain our fellowship. 
You might say, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, but you don't have to say, Rejoy thy sal- Restore unto me thy salvation. Nobody was ever saved but once. You can never become a child of God more than one, one time any more than you could become a child of your mother and father the second time. But uh, one thing is to have our relationship, the other thing is to have uh, our fellowship with him. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship not one with another, one with the other. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, is cleansing us from all sin. That's the Aorus tent, and it's always taken care of. You have it in the five sacrifices. You have the, you remember the burnt offering, and the peace offering, and the meal offering, and the trespass offering, and the sin offering. And those five offerings point to the five aspects of the once for all suffering of the Lord Jesus and what he's doing at God's right hand. Now the Lord uh, was rejected as king. He rode into Jerusalem on the foal of an ass and said, Behold, daughter of Zion, your king cometh riding on the foal of an ass. But when he comes, as we said when he had the Palm Sunday, that isn't a triumphant entry. There's going to be a triumphant entry. When he comes, he's not coming as lowly Jesus, meek and mild, riding on the foal of an ass to be judged by the world. He's coming with crowned with many diadems. He's going to sit as a conquering king. He's going to be on a white horse, and with him a great number of white horse riders. They're all coming. Behold, he cometh with ten thousand of his holy ones uh, to execute judgment upon all the holy, uh, all the ungodly for all the ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed. And then he's going to take the throne of David, and he's going to sit on the throne of David, and the government is going to be on his shoulder. Why? Because the Lord of hosts is going to accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, we're told. And we have those many prophecies that he's coming. And so the Lord Jesus Christ now at God's right hand, he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchus means king. Zitkinu means righteousness. He was the king of righteousness, and Melchizedek lived in Salem. And Salem means peace. And Jesus Christ is the prince of peace. And Melchizedek had neither mother, mother nor father, beginning of days or end of time. And he spoke as Melchizedek spoke of the eternal priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I said this morning, in uh, just making the announcement, every moment since he's been there all these 1923 years, he's been representing those who've been redeemed by the matchless grace of God. And therefore, we're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. But we're sealed in the meantime with the Holy Spirit, the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. The Lord Jesus Christ purchased us, body, soul, and spirit. Somebody asked me the other day, immediately, what kind of a body do you think the Lord Jesus Christ has now in heaven? The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now that is according to his essential deity, that's true. But I'm sure you know that when Jesus Christ was here on earth as Jesus of Nazareth, he was the seed of the woman. I'm sure you know that he wasn't in the same form that he was before he came. He was in the form of God, and he changed his form and took upon himself the form of a man, the form of a servant. And he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh to condemn sin in the flesh. It was the same Christ, but it was in a different form with a different ministry. And while he was here on earth, he was a minister to the Jews, and he said, I am not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is up in glory now. Does he have the same body? Yes, but that body underwent a change. 
You remember what happened after he's raised from the dead? They said, he's a spirit. He said, oh, you touch me. A spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he feet, his feet were standing on the Mount of Olives, and he went up to heaven, he went in a body of flesh and bone. His blood was shed. And one time, you know, he said, touch me not. The other side, he said, touch me. In the meantime, he took his blood and went up to heaven. And it says that he entered once into heaven by his own blood and thereby obtained eternal redemption for us. Well, whatever kind of a body he has, we're told that we're going to have bodies fashioned like unto his body of glory. And it won't be long, won't be long, even if, they, if it's a, a hundred years or more, it won't be long until we've all left these earthly scenes. And do uh, you have a hope laid up in heaven? You know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. If you do not know him, why don't you receive him and be saved in the only way you can be saved? He, by the grace of God, tasted death for every man. He put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. We've had so many people, as we've said, you ask them to receive Christ, and they said, I'm afraid I can't hold out. Well, I want to tell you, beloved, you can't hold out. Remember the little story we had, we told to the children, but grown people need to know it. The father took the little boy out. He wanted to go in the snow and was slipper in the ice. And he went out and the daddy held his hand. He said, you let go of my hand, let me take your hand. And he took his father's hand and he walked for a little while. And he lost his grip and his feet went from under him. He fell down and he hit his head on the back of the ice and he got up. He said, dad, you better take my hand. And I want to tell you, my dear friend, you can't hold out. You let the Lord Jesus Christ hold on. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He's able to save all the way to the end, all that come unto God through him, because he ever liveth to make intercession for us. I wonder when you're praying and when you're worshiping, are you always conscious of the fact that he's up there as a man at God's right hand? He's the first fruits of them that slept, and as a priest after the order of Melchizedek, he's called the forerunner. And in the Greek, it's a compound word. It's the runner, of he a runner ahead. And when he ran ahead, he took the sting out of death. O oh, death, where is thy sting? O oh, hell, where is thy victory? You know, as I said, we don't have to say the 23rd Psalm, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Of course we do, because we don't have belief. You don't think Paul went through the shadow of death, do you? You don't think Peter and those faithful ones went through the shadow of death? The Lord Jesus Christ took that shadow out. He hath abolished death, and he's brought life and incorruptibility to light through the gospel. He became flesh and blood, that he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We don't live the other side of the cross. We don't live the other side of the resurrection of the Lord. He's the runner ahead. He ran ahead into death, and he abolished death, and he's gone to glory, and he says, Because I live, ye shall live also. And we're already raised up and made to sit down in the heavens, and our citizenship is in heaven, and we look for the Savior. And you don't know what he'll come this very night. You never know when he's coming. You have no right to say when he'll come. But some hour, some moment in the twinkling of an eye, the same Christ that went to glory will come back. And in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be translated. We'll be taken from this earth to glory.